Let's uh, let's start with prayer this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you for your amazing blessings. We, uh, Lord, we stand before you this morning. We sit before you, and uh, we are mindful that you are the Creator, a loving Father, a a righteous Judge, and a merciful Savior. And it's on all of those attributes that we bow before you and submit our lives before you. It's because of who you are that we are here today. It's because you love us so greatly that you gave your son Jesus for us. And we are so thankful that he loves you enough to be obedient to your plan and loves us enough that he was willing to go through that for us, dearest Lord. Father, we pray for Jack and his family, um, and we ask that uh, you would heal them quickly. We pray, Lord, for those who have suffered loss recently. We're mindful of, uh, of Bruce Utt and his loss of his mother. And uh, Father, for, uh, for, my, uh, for my family with the loss of my Aunt Becky, and, and for others here, uh, for the Sailor family with, with uh, the loss of their niece, Lord, we... We raise them up to you, and we ask, Father, that you would help us to have a, a wisdom and a compassion that delivers the love of your son Jesus to those families so that they would see how greatly you care for them and be drawn to your son Jesus in their time of grief. Well, Father, we ask you to be with us through our Bible studies and our worship service this morning, that our hearts would be open to the message of your word and uh, that we would leave here uplifted, uh, that we would leave here with uh, uh, a greater knowledge and uh, a greater persuasion, Lord, and, and encouragement to, to be your witnesses, to be your workers in your kingdom. We love you, Lord, and it's in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So the subject this morning is heaven. We sing songs about heaven, right? We sing, heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. Oh, I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. What's some other songs about heaven we sing? No tears in heaven. No tears in heaven. That's, that sounds good, doesn't it? No tears in heaven. Uh, I watched a football game yesterday where there's a lot of football players crying after the game. <laughs> I'm not talking about those players don't cry. They, but anyway, I'm just teasing. Uh, no tears in heaven. Uh, there's a, obviously there's a lot of songs we sing about heaven. We have some scripture about heaven, probably not near as much as a lot of people would think that we have about heaven. So I'm just going to give you the opportunity for a moment. Tell me something you know from scripture about heaven. Tell me something you think you know about heaven, whether it's in scripture or not. Streets of gold? Streets of gold. No night there. No night there. Now, both of those things come from scripture, right? Okay. Streets of gold and no night. Now, I've heard of people. Well, hi, Mom. <laughs> we, have, we, have a family, we have a family funeral this week, so Mom just drove up from southeast Oklahoma. So, um, Streets of gold, no night. Uh, I've heard of people who I've never been to Alaska, but they've been to Alaska, and there's no nighttime for a little while, and it becomes a problem. 
but you know for sleep cycles and all that but when you're in the presence of the creator I've got a I've got an understanding as I go through the scriptures of being in his presence that that's not going to be an issue for us so if you're afraid of going somewhere where there's no night don't be and I'll just leave that there so no night streets of gold what else no tears. You kind of touched on it just then. Is is we actually get to be in God's presence. We need to. We get to be with Him. You know, even though we say He's here with us, mm-hmm. it'll just be a whole different situation. Okay, so being in His presence, and as we look through some of the passages in the Bible, we're going to look at Revelation twenty-one and Revelation twenty-two in just a moment. And as we look at those passages, we see God, or we will be. God will be together, right? In his presence. Why is there no night there? Because God is the light. And that light doesn't go out. There's nothing, there's not a revolution orbit going around it or spinning on the axis that causes nighttime and daytime. So there's no night because God himself is the light. What else? It's actually a place, a reality. God came from heaven here and created a physical universe that was not heaven. It was a separate reality. The universe is separate from heaven. Okay, so now you're starting to sound like multiverse stuff from the Marvel series. Okay? You know, there's actually some basis in Scripture that's led them to theorize some of this stuff. Okay? So... The apostles and saints will be there. The apostles and saints will be there. Who are the saints? What do you mean by that? Those that have passed before us because we are also saints. We are saints. Those who have been sanctified by the blood of the Lamb. So, alright. We'll be singing. We'll be singing? Now, I read about elders singing. So only only Sam and Ron and David <laughs> and Ricky will be singing, and the rest of us will be listening to them sing. That's pretty scary. <laughs> we'll sing a new song. What did Bill Car- Do y'all, y'all remember what Bill Carter would say about when we would be in heaven? We'd have a new. Does anybody remember that? He always. Bill was starting to slip already when we moved here. But Bill always wanted to talk to me about, I wonder what my name is going to be in heaven. We're going to get a new name. Okay, so there's some things that are going to change. One of the key things that we talked about, and and based on something I said, Sam brought it up, is we will be in the presence of the Almighty. And currently, in our mortal um, souls with these bodies that we have we go back and we look at the story of Moses speaking with God as as he he was at the burning bush and God was talking to him and then he wanted to see God what did God tell Moses this is back in the book of Exodus he had to hide his he had to hide in the cleft and let him pass by we sing about the cleft of the rock for a reason right he he put Moses in the cleft of the rock, he put his hand over Moses as he passed by because Moses could look at the back of God but could not see his face because he said, what would happen? He He would die. And yet we read, as we get into Revelation here, about this presence with God and 
we read about heaven, we read about the new Jerusalem, we read about this, this uh, new glorious existence of God's kingdom, that we shall see his face. Okay? So, go ahead and turn over to, if you're not there already, Revelation chapter 21. Now, as we look at these passages of Revelation 21 and Revelation 22, I want you to also consider this. We are going to read about a place called the New Jerusalem. We're going to read about a city that comes from where? The city descends from heaven. Okay? When we look at this from a scriptural standpoint, when we look at this idea of the city descending from heaven, we're not reading about heaven itself descending. We're reading about a city that is descending from heaven. And this city is very, very large. Okay, so that was one thing that we, when we were talking about, okay, tell me what you know about heaven, we didn't get any responses about there's many rooms there or many mansions there. We didn't, we didn't but there's room, there's much room available in heaven. Some of the passages we're reading in the Bible refer to heaven as God's house, and there are many rooms available in God's house. Okay, that doesn't mean literally all you get is a room necessarily. That may, may and I assume, is figurative, but it does mean there is much room available in heaven. We also get some measurements of the city that is descending out of heaven, and it says it's 12,000 furlongs wide. And 12,000 furlongs deep. And here's the one that really blows my mind. 12,000 furlongs in height. Now, the, the Devon Tower is pretty tall, but it's not 12,000 furlongs. 12,000 furlongs is about, depending on your exact measurement of furlong, 1,200 to 1,500 miles. Okay? So... Let's just say 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep, 1,500 miles tall. And it says the wall is 144 cubits, which would be 72 yards or 72 meters. Now, that's not real specific depending on which version of the Bible you're looking at. If that's talking about the height of the wall or the thickness of the wall, but this is a large wall around the city. Okay? So that's something else, dimensions. We get some description of the city that descends out of heaven. So if we look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 9, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I didn't put, oh I did, sorry. Uh, I started thinking I didn't put the microphone on, but I did, okay. Um, come and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Okay, quick pause. Other passages in the Bible tell me who the bride of Christ is. Church. How do you know that? The Bible says so. The Bible says so. <laughs> All right. The bride of Christ is the church. Who or what is the church? The people. What people? Baptized Christians are the church. The saints that Jeanette talked about a minute ago, right? <laughs> Thank you, Sam. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door and see all the people, right? See, that song's wrong, though, right? 
here's the church building, here's the steeple. Open the doors and see the church. Maybe that's the way we need to start seeing it, huh? So, all right. So the church is the bride of Christ. That means we, as Christians who have been baptized into Jesus, clothed in Christ, having our sins washed away, added to the church, are the bride of Christ. We are committed to him. We have a covenant with him. We depend on him. And as the bride, as we look at the structure of family that God has established within the Bible, we are subject to him and that we follow his righteous guidance. Okay? So we are the bride of Christ, and now we're reading in Revelation chapter 21 of all things, in this vision of this new heaven and new earth and this new Jerusalem just sitting out of heaven, that the angel says to John, come see the church. Okay? This, is, this may be a little bit of a challenging idea uh, in some ways, because what, what I'm, I'm not going to get way off the rails here and teach you some things that are controversial, but uh, you maybe look at some of these passages a little bit differently than you've looked at them in the past. So, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife, who carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. I'm going to show you the bride of Christ. I'm going to show you the church, and he shows them the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven. Now that in and of itself, when you start putting these connections together in the context of what he's saying, suggests that this beautiful place that's descending out of heaven is the bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem, and therefore we know, because we haven't studied only the book of Revelation, but we've studied the entire word of God, that the thing that comes from God, that is so beautiful and glorious, that shares God's glory with the world, that God lives within and is the holy temple within, is the church. Does that make sense? The most beautiful thing on this planet that God uses all of this imagery to describe for us are His saved people who are doing His work in this world. Having the glory of God, verse 11, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates. Now, here we actually get the term high wall, but we don't see that in the measurements, okay? Great and high wall with 12 gates, 12 angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now, I get really caught up personally, so we'll take a little rabbit chasing for a second, okay? I get really caught up personally in this idea of Israel that is so prominent within the world today and within Christian circles of Israel being God's chosen people. Who are God's cho- well, Israel was chosen by God, right? For a purpose? What was that purpose? Get us to the nations. Be a light to the nations. Get us to the Get us to God, get us to Christ, get us to the new kingdom. So deliver, bring Christ to the world through this, this seed uh, that come through Abraham and eventually David and on down, and we, we bring Christ to the world that establishes a new covenant and brings us into uh, the church eventually. Be a light to the world, all right? So Israel was chosen for this purpose, 
And yet now we read in the New Testament, as the writers of the New Testament are writing to Christians, they said, you, you are a holy people. You are chosen. You are special. And the church has become the chosen people of God. All right. So as we read through this, I want, I just my side note is I we we cannot discount the history, the place of the of Israel in God's plans. We cannot discount their role in bringing Christ to the world uh, and our understanding of who God is today. I get a little personally confused sometimes when I start reading about the names of the tribes being here on the gates and exactly what their place is in their special status with God today. The world wants to assign something to them, I think, that is no longer appropriate, but I'm not sure what is appropriate. But that's just a little rabbit chasing, okay? Um, now, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Which 12? I bet we can all agree on 11 of them, huh? <laughs> Don't think so? They voted in another one. They voted in another one, huh? Okay. And what was his name, Todd? Is that Steve? Matthias? Matthias, yeah, okay. Saul of Tarsus was one born out of two seasons. Yeah, it doesn't appear to be one of the twelve, though. So, all right. He was special. He was special, absolutely. There's the Todd. You are too, Todd. Yeah. <laughs> and he who talked with me, I don't mean that in a rude way, Todd. Yeah, I mean you're special. Yeah, right. You're loved. <laughs> okay. He who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with a reed. Twelve thousand furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the uh, sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, and the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate of one pearl. That is a big oyster. <laughs> and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. There's those streets of gold, Helen. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are his temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. So not to be confusing here when we said earlier that God is the light, and here specifically refers to the Lamb, who we know to be referring, based on other studies that we've already done the last few weeks, the Lamb here in the book of Genesis refers to whom? Jesus. Okay. The Lamb is its light. Um, verse 24, and the nations of those who are saved. It's all those saints you were talking about there, Jeanette. The nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. 
And if they're not shut by day, that means what? They're not going to be shut because there is no night there. Okay. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall be by no means, there shall by no means enter in enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay. All right, so we have this beautiful city that descends out of heaven. God the Father and the Lamb are the temple in the city. The Lamb is its light. The city is described for us using the most beautiful substances that we can think of on earth that man values with precious stones and, and metals. And, and the city is described in this beautiful way, this beautiful place that's very, very large. There's room for everyone, and the presence of God is in the middle of the city. Okay? Again, the angel told John, let me show you the bride of Christ. Here's the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven. Travis. I think the, this is my opinion, but I think that the important aspect of verse 25, the gates will never be shut by day, is... There will be no need for protection mm. yeah. from, from, from enemy. Because, because if you go, go back and you look at the continuation from the Old Testament, what, what the history of God is careening towards is shalom. Peace. Okay. Uh, peace. Uh, overwhelming Holiness. peace. Yes. Um, Isaiah 2, Isaiah 11, the wolf will lay with the lamb. This whole it, it gives me a chill just thinking about this 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 new creation where you know what what caused the flood with Genesis is God you know, we we always say it's it's evil but God describes what the evil was and it, it doesn't say anything about sexual immortality or, or immorality there's a violence violence what, there was violence everywhere and when you look at all through the, the Old Testament, these, these projections towards the shalom is the idea that there will be reconciliation between God and man and, and all peoples. And not even all peoples, but all creation. Mm. And, and so you have this absence of, of, of uh, struggles between individuals. And to me, that's what all Scripture is about, is the idea... Of, of reconciliation and shalom that, that we won't have to worry about those things anymore. Doug? In my notes here, verses 9 through 27 deal with the protection of God, His perfect protection for us in that, in that situation, for the rest of our existence. And so uh, that's the whole context there is protection one way or the other, by the walls or whatever the case may be. And 1 through 8, it's perfect fellowship with God. And so that's, that's the whole concept of 9 through 27 is the conveyance, the idea of the protection of God is part of heaven. So Doug, Doug and if, for those of you that may not be able to hear Travis and Doug, Travis started off by talking about the idea of the gates being open all the time. If our gates are not closed by day, there is no night, which means the gates are always open, is this idea of 
this perfect protection that comes in God's presence, that there, there is no evil and violence, and that we, God is moving all of creation together toward this perfect, to use the Jewish term um, that maybe we don't get a full grasp of because we often just use the word peace, but the, the, to, toward this perfect shalom, peace and holiness wrapped up in the presence of God. And then, and then Doug was backing that up with notes that he had made about uh, these past these verses here toward the end of chapter 21, uh, the early part of the chapter talking about the being in the presence of God and and then the fellowship with one another and with him, but that leading to his protection in those passages. So it was uh, you know, supporting one another in their thoughts there. Sam? Tracy, uh, not to just go too far with this, but I think there's a lot of us that are probably sitting here when, you, when, we, when you're going through this and you're reading that or saying, why would you need walls anyways? Why would you need gates? This is a time where I think you need to remember it was being written for those people during that time. That's all they knew was cities with walls and gates as protection and all those. So it's making those reference to, but we need to remember that's not what's important is walls and gates. Okay. Yeah. Well, and, and that is a question actually yesterday when I was reading these passages that, that actually came to my mind is if, if there's no threat, then why, did, why are there walls anyway if there's this perfect protection? But there's imagery for those who understood that. I think there's some beauty in that as well for us because when we think about even in our 21st century world, these beautiful cities, and we start trying to imagine this beautiful city with this, I mean, 12 gates that are each made of an individual pearl and all of the layers of foundation with the different gemstone. I mean, it, it, it draws this beautiful idea. So even this, the walls itself around the city draw a, a sense of protection and safety as well as uh, an image of beauty. So, Todd? We'll no longer be in human form. Will we not? I don't believe so. <laughs> hmm. We'll have some type of body. We'll Jesus, Jesus had a body after resurrection. Uh, I'm not sure that we're like a ball of light floating around through the sky, you know, drawn from some, some science fiction movie. But uh, the, the corruptible becomes incorruptible. We have access to the tree of life, which we get to here in the next few passages in Revelation 22. So I'm going to challenge you on that statement, okay? Because I, but I'm not sure we know fully or fully understand what that means either. Because it also does say we'll no longer be married up there. Huh? Once the wife or the <coughs> husband passes away. <laughs> well, you're you're jumping to a whole bunch of stuff that would get very deep for us. Okay, we're going to stop on that one. All right. That's a tough one. I know. It is. Wanda. This is just me, but I find no comfort in walls, sticks and stones, diamonds, gold, spatial, all of that. That, to me, is just not comforting. The comforting thing is God with an area like the Garden of Eden. Mm. And being able to just be free, mm. no hindrance, and that to me is the beauty. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about that a little bit in the sermon. 
this morning too, but you just won't be open for discussion now. Tracy, I think the idea here, all these things are being described as physical things. Physical things we that we can understand. Pearl, what we consider to be beautiful is a pearl, okay? It's not going to be a pearl. There's or maybe it will. No, it's not going to be a pearl. <laughs> it's a spiritual realm. It has not, it's not anything physical going to be in there. I don't, hmm. know, I don't know about that. Yeah, I'm not sure about that either. In, in, Paul, in Romans, you're going to have a body. You're going to have a body, mm -hmm. but it's going to be a spiritual body. Spiritual but it's not going. <laughs> so this is where I said some things we talk about today may be challenging. So and and in Romans, Travis in, in Romans chapter eight, Paul says, even the creation groans mm. to be lifted from the curse that mm. was placed upon it. There will be some type of new creation. Yeah. And I don't think it's it's in our view of this ephemeral <clears throat> spiritual aspect where there is no some type of physicality towards it. What that looks like, I do not know. Paul couldn't even describe it in First uh, Corinthians. But I don't think it. We're going to be. And I'm not saying Doug that you said this, but I don't think this idea that we have sometimes of playing harps on clouds <laughs> is is the idea that we're going to have. Maybe yeah. there will be some physical aspects to it. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I'm gonna because of the time, the first bell's gonna ring in about five minutes. So I'm I'm going to jump, go ahead and. and we are talking about things that are spiritual and mysterious that we do not know the answers to, but we have some descriptions of those things that we will not fully understand until we experience those things firsthand, okay? We are going to have some things that some of us have deeply held beliefs about here that, and because they're in this room, people who love God tremendously who have committed their lives to, to serve him and his kingdom and his people in this world, who are going to have differently held beliefs about what all this means. And some of us are going to find out, and probably all of us will find out, that we have been mistaken in some of these things, okay? Because these are things that are mysterious with us. God has shared with us and left for us everything that we need for life and godliness and salvation. And so we can get really interested in all these other things, but we don't. We are not necessarily going to know all of these answers. All right, Amanda. The physical world that we live in is so far away from what God actually created, and we be less than yeah. the world. So what? Which goes back to what what Travis said in his last comment. So what we live in is, is nothing that we can. No, what we live in is nothing that we can even physically imagine what He intended anyway, because we're so far away from it. So a, a spiritual world that was created in heaven, how could we ever grasp that concept? Right. We can't even grasp the world that he created so many years ago. All right, let me get David and I'll get back to you, Chris. Well, I was going to go back to what Sam was saying earlier. It's, think of who the audience was in these gates. At that time, how the sapphires and gems and amethysts and these pearls, it's mystery to them. It's amazing. It's something they can't fathom at yeah. that point. So, yeah. I mean, think of the audience. It's beauty. And peace and protection and and glory and majesty beyond anything that any of us have ever experienced. It is beyond our experience 
an ability to comprehend whatever it happens to be. Chris? All right, Jeanette. Could it not also establish that he is the king of kings? Mm. Because it was only the kings that had the riches and what, the splendor. And what does it say twice in this passage that we just so read? He's establishing his kingdomship. The kings of the earth are going to be bringing their glories and riches into this this new Jerusalem to deliver them. And that actually to gives us a little temples, did they not have to bring their golds? And well, and, and I want you to think about I want you to think about the height of Israel's glory. Solomon is on the throne, and kings from around the world were coming to visit to see about this wonderful wisdom and majestic structures and this beautiful kingdom that had been established over here in Canaan, and, and they're coming from all over the world. And what were they bringing with them when they came? treasures and riches, and they're coming to pay their tributes to Solomon. And so when we think about the kings that are bringing their riches and glory and treasures into this new Jerusalem, again, further uh, solidifies that, just as you said, Jesus is the king of kings, and this is the ultimate place. All right, I got seven minutes. This is quick. Okay. Matthew twenty-two thirty. it's also in Mark. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So like, Why are we going back there? I agree with you. I'm not arguing with you. I'm just saying. You basically said I was wrong. No, 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 not on that. Not on that. No, I'm not arguing that point. I, 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 would, I, would, I would have a, a, a discussion from a differing viewpoint on you about whether or not we have physical bodies. But not on the, the marriage issue. Whatever angels are is what we're going to be like. Okay. We're going to have bodies. Okay. Let, have let, bodies. Let, right. let, let me wrap up. Let me wrap up. I was going to say real quick. Let's remember, too, there are diverse voices in Scripture. Uh, are there? There, there are. <laughs> and I can show you tons of the diverse Voices yeah. in scripture. I won't even bring my version of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, a couple of things I want to make sure that we pick up on here today, okay? A couple of things. Let's let's get back on here. Let's get back here. All right. Hang on. Hang on, guys. Right up here. Up here. It's, it's not that I don't mind you having a conversation while I'm talking. It's just that no one else can hear what's being said, all right? The microphone cuts out every once in a while, and then... So, all right. In this city that is descending... This new Jerusalem that is ascending out of heaven. Revelation 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, who has, who has uh, an ESV available? All right. Read verse 2 for me from ESV, please. So the middle, through the middle of the streets of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were from the healing of the for the healing of the nations. Okay, so the tree of life, and I, I actually had a New King James up here, and the wording in the middle of that verse is really confusing in the New King James version. So, um, the tree of life is referenced first in the Bible, where? Everyone should be responding here in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 50, 
when we get to, to Joseph, is that what it's referenced? No. Okay, so Genesis is a big book. It's referenced where? The Garden of Eden. In the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve and he placed them in the garden, the tree of life was in the garden, and they were restricted from eating from the tree of life, right? Later they were. But initially they had access to the tree of life, correct? Yes. Yes. They had access to the tree of life. Once they broke God's thou shalt not eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they broke that commandment, and they were banished from the garden, then they no longer had access to the tree of life. But as we read here in this new Jerusalem, the tree of life that God had barred mankind from still exists and is available, and its fruit is available, and its leaves are for the healing of the nation. So there is the idea here that there is a spiritual, refreshing, healing nourishment available from this tree of life that God had made available in the very beginning to Adam and Eve. Alright? Again, we can start talking figurative, we can start talking physical tree, we can start talking about whether or not we physically eat leaves with physical bodies. Ain't none of us there. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know God's taking care of us and providing for us all the nourishment and fulfillment that we need in his presence, in his eternal kingdom. Okay? And the first bell just rang, didn't it? Yeah. Okay. All right. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, in it referring back to this city, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face something we talked about in the very beginning. Moses was not allowed to see his face because it would have he would have died, but now his servants will see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. You all get tattoos in heaven. Is that what that means? No. Are you sure? Yes. You are sure? Yeah, sure. What does it mean when we talk about foreheads Mentioned a couple of times in the book of Revelation. I think Revelation 9 also mentions it. What do we talk about foreheads in, in the scripture? As a matter of fact, we even read in the Old Testament about the Israelites being told to... Well, that's what they decided to do. Was they, would, they would build these phylacteries and put little pieces of scripture in a box and strap them to their heads, right? When the idea, as I understand it, through some study... And maybe they had it more right than than I do, is the idea of being the focus of your thoughts, the forefront of your mind. We may literally have the name of God stamped on our foreheads when we get there. Okay, again, Genesis is written in apocalyptic or symbolic language. Let's not forget that, okay? Revelation. Oh, Revelation, I'm sorry, Revelation, not Genesis. Okay. All right. Um Verse 5, and we'll just wrap up here, and the bell's about to ring. There should be no night there, so that idea is repeated for us. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So, in the beginning of the class period, I mentioned some songs, one of the songs that we sing, Heaven is a wonderful place, filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. All right. That much we know. 
What it actually looks like, we don't know. There are some things here that I think challenge our basic understanding. We have an understanding of us going to heaven, and yet the imagery that is shared with us here in the final chapters of Revelation is literally God's presence and kingdom. And just as Jesus prayed in his model prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is this new Jerusalem descending down out of heaven and coming down to man in the presence of God coming to dwell with men, which is what Jesus literally did when he left heaven and came to earth on his first uh, sojourn. And that's what the prophets believed. Yes, and clearly, as you study the Jewish religion and what they believe, that is, that obviously is what they were looking for in Jesus' first arrival. They had misconstrued it as being him coming to earth and overthrowing Rome. Uh, but, uh, again, there's some, some things there that may challenge you a little bit, uh, but mostly heaven is an absolutely wonderful place. Riley, last thought. Thank you, uh, before dismiss the class, you know, I have a question and compliment. But first, I'd like to compliment our elders for their choice of two young ministers. And I don't know if anyone's ever heard the phrase question. You know, uh, my question is, have you ever heard the phrase, stole your thunder? Mm-hmm. Okay, in different presentations of the business I was in, you know, uh, uh, one speaker would get in what other speaker was uh, discussing or fixing to discuss, you know. So uh, I think you may have stole Jack's thunder. <laughs> <laughs> I want to compliment both of you. This man is a Here. positive comment to both of you. Thank you. As well as a selection of our two young elders. Thank you for using the word young. Also, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> the people here don't realize.